And uh, I'm going to invite your attention to the book of Colossians this morning. Colossians and chapter number 1, if you would turn there with me. We've been uh, in, a, in a series or a study on the book of Colossians over the past several weeks at this hour. And uh, we're going to be picking it up here in verse number 24 uh, this morning. But let me just give you a little bit of background uh, on where we have been so far. If you remember, uh, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Colossae. This is a group of people that he has not yet met in person. He doesn't know them uh, in a personal way, but he knows a lot about them. He's heard of them uh, through some mutual friends, and he's encouraged because of the, uh, the fact that the gospel has come to them. They've been saved and there is evidence of that salvation in their lives. And, and he's been admonishing them and encouraging them uh, to live in, a, in obedience to the Lord. Verse 10 of this chapter, for instance, he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's, his desire for them is that they would come to know the Lord in a deeper way and that they would walk in, in obedience to him and, and, uh, and that they would live the life that the Lord would have them to live. And then last week we, we looked at the fact that uh, according to uh, this passage of scripture, Jesus is our great reconciler. That uh, we were, because of our sins, separated from God. We were alienated from God and enemies of God even. That Christ came and stood in our place and he took our sins upon himself and literally became uh, our sin for us. Though he himself never sinned, he bore our sins upon himself in his own body and died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, which is death. And that through his death, we have now been made right with God. Those of us who have received his gift of eternal life, we've believed on him, we've trusted in his sacrifice we have been saved. We've been restored to fellowship with God. No more enemies. Now we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. And so this is an incredible, uh, an incredible truth that, that Paul has been presenting here. And at the end of verse number 23, he makes this statement, Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. He's referring to the gospel, that he is a minister of the gospel. He is one who is living his life so that others may know of this salvation. And then I want to just pick it up here in verse number 24, where he says, who, he's speaking of himself, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now that's a, a mouthful. We're going to look at exactly what all of that means here in just a moment. But I want to go back to the beginning of verse number 24, where Paul makes this statement. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Rejoice in my sufferings. And I want to just preach to you this morning on, on, on that subject, rejoicing in suffering. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, I want to thank you for the incredible truths that are contained in these pages of the scriptures. And I pray that in these next few moments that you would just open our understanding, that you would give us clarity and help us to see what it is that you have for us here. Lord, this mystery that is spoken of, Lord, may we see it, understand it, and embrace it. And Lord, may we live according to the ministry that you've given to us that others may hear and others may know. Thank you, Lord, for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the Word of God, throughout the Bible, we're presented with really several paradoxal-type statements. And, and one of them is this concept that suffering and sacrifice can actually be a positive thing. One example of that would be in James chapter 1 where he says, uh, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Uh, in other words, when you, when you fall on hard times, when you find yourself in the midst of a trial, when, 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 when problems come your way, count it all joy. Now, that, that contradicts our human nature, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It goes against the grain for sure to say, uh, boy, you know, I, I, I find myself in a time of difficulty. Maybe it's a, I lost my job or I'm having some family problems or, or someone has, ha, has kind of risen up against me and they're causing me trouble. Uh, and, and, and it's hard to look at a situation like that and be joyful and even to rejoice in it. But you see, the biblical concept is not simply that we're to say, you know, okay, something terrible has happened to me, I can hardly wait for the next problem, you know. That's not the idea, but the idea is this, that in everything there is a purpose. There's a reason. And in James 1 that I quoted to you a moment ago, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. In other words, God is working in your life for your good, and he's using even difficulty and hardship to bring about something good. A similar concept is found in Romans 8, in verse 28, that we are probably most of us familiar with, where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so for those of us who are saved and know the Lord, we can rejoice in every circumstance, in every trial, knowing that God is working for our good. And so you, you find this happening throughout Scripture, and really a, a positive light being shed on a difficult or trying circumstance or situation. Now here in Colossians 1, Paul is speaking of being a minister of the gospel, a minister of Christ, and he says that he is rejoicing in his sufferings for them. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and notice he says, and fill up 
that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake. Now this is some kind of confusing wording, but, but basically, follow me here, here's what he's saying. I have been called to come behind Christ and follow in his sufferings. And really, to a degree, he's saying that which is lacking of the sufferings of Christ, I am to fulfill in myself. Now, just for clarity's sake, let me say that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary was absolutely sufficient in every possible way to buy your salvation and mine. Jesus died and he shed his blood and as he hung there on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And, and when, his, when he gave up the ghost, he literally passed away from this life. The everything necessary to satisfy the wrath of God was accomplished. And everything necessary to bring salvation to you and to me was done. He rose again the third day, overcoming that penalty of death uh, and, and, and the penalty of sin, which is death. And by his resurrection, he gives us eternal life. And now he says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life because he is life. And so we have everything necessary for our salvation. It's found in Christ. So what is this that Paul is talking about? Uh, you know, basically coming behind Christ and, and filling up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ. It has the idea that as Christ suffered for your salvation, Paul now is saying as a minister of the gospel, I am embracing the same suffering and sacrifice that you may hear. You see... We, we struggle sometimes to really accept that there is a price to be paid in following Christ. Now, again, salvation is free. There is no price to salvation because Christ has already paid that. And it is a free gift of God that we receive by grace through faith. Nothing we do, not good works, not baptism, not communion or uh, a confession, or anything like that will ever make us right with God. Simply Christ and Christ alone is all we need to be made right with God. But friend, you need to understand something. When you give your life to Christ, you are embracing a life of discipleship, following Christ. And when you become a follower of Christ, you need to understand there is a price that comes along with that. There is a cost. To giving your life to Christ. No, not for your salvation. That has already been paid. But understand that following Christ is a costly thing. There are sacrifices that will be made along the way. In order to live the life that God has called us to live. But this is not, friend, this is not a negative thing. In Christ, this is a positive thing. Because our suffering helps us. Listen, our suffering helps us to identify with Christ. Jesus himself suffered on our behalf. And notice that Paul is saying to these, these Christians at Colossae, he says, I, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for you. Now, Paul was a man, if you know anything about his life, from the time that he trusted Christ until the time of his death, he was surrounded by trouble. 
he's, he, if you remember when he was talking to those Ephesian elders in, in uh, Acts chapter 20, he said, uh, I'm going to, to Jerusalem and I don't know what exactly is going to happen to me there. But he said, except that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city that bonds and afflictions abide me. I mean, everywhere Paul went, there was trouble. There were people that opposed him. This is a man that, I mean, he, he had faced physical persecution. He'd been beaten. He'd been stoned. He'd been put in prison, all for simply obeying God and going from city to city and preaching the gospel. Uh, he, at times, according to his own testimony, was hungry, meaning not just, just that he was sitting there thinking, I, you know, I'm, I'm ready for lunch, but, but he was actually uh, lacking in food. He was hungering. There were times that he didn't have what he needed. There were times that he was cold. There were times that he was shipwrecked. There were times that he was abandoned by his friends. This was a man who knew what it meant to suffer. But he says, I do these things and I suffer these things, not for myself, but for others. Because in serving God, I serve others and these sufferings, these things... The, 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 the cost, if you will, it is on behalf of other people. And because of that, I can identify with Christ. Just as Christ suffered for you, I'm willing to suffer for you. Notice in uh, Colossians, we're in Colossians. Go back to Philippians, just a page or two back. Philippians chapter 3. And in verse number 10, he says that I may know him, speaking of Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He says, I, I, I am actually in, I'm pursuing the Lord and I want to know him. I, I, I want to be able to identify him in life. But I also want to be able to identify with him in death. I want everything that Jesus did in sacrifice for me, I want to be willing to repay that for him. Now, again, that does not mean that when I get saved and follow Christ, that I am going to automatically, you know, just start afflicting myself or that I'm going to put myself in danger uh, of death. But I ought to be willing to pay whatever price is necessary to follow the will of God for my life. We just recently witnessed the, uh, uh, the, the tragic death of one of our missionary friends, Stephen Trell, who was over in the Middle East in, in Iraq, serving the Lord there. And just, what, a week, a week before he died, he was right up here on the screen talking with us, wasn't he, about serving God in a dangerous place. And how he himself was willing to trust God with his life and have the attitude that I'm willing to glorify God in my life, whether it be by life or by death. If God wants to take me home, if God wants to allow me, that's fine because my life is his and I, I put it in his hands. And a life of discipleship is one where we're willing to pay the price necessary to, to identify with Christ. I want you to go with me, if you would, to the book of Luke and chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And in Luke 14, Jesus is really kind of working with his disciples and he's teaching them some things and, 
and uh, giving them some parables. But in, in uh, verse number 25 of Luke 14, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned unto them, or he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not, his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you might look at that and say, my goodness, you know, does God really want me to hate people? Does he want me to hate people that he's put in my life? No, the, the word hate there doesn't mean that you are to despise them. It doesn't mean that you are to abandon them. But here's what it means. When you come to Christ and you say, I want to be a disciple of Christ, essentially what you're saying is, he is more important than anything else to me, even including those who are closest to me, Christ has to take priority. He has to be first place. And we can't love others more than him and to be his disciple. Notice he says, yea, in his own life also. I think of those who serve in our nation's military and understand that really when they sign up and they enlist, they understand that there may be dangers that they face. How, how many of you served in, in the military in some form or fashion? Okay, a couple of you here. Thank you for your service. Not everyone who serves in the military is put in danger. I mean, there are people who spend most of their military career, t you know, tucked behind a desk somewhere or, or safe on some uh, base here in the United States. And, 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 but there are also those who go to the front lines and they fight. But everyone who signs up understands that by signing on the dotted line here, I am giving away my right to safety and life. I'm even to some degree giving away my right to my family. When you join the military, they send you wherever they want to send you. And that may not be with your family. You may have to leave father and mother and brothers and sisters, even your wife and your children. You may have to leave them behind to go and serve. You understand that the price could be your own life. But you do that out of love for your country, out of duty, out of service. I am willing. And really, serving Christ is no different. It's not that we say, I don't care about my family. I don't care about my life. I don't care about good things. But it is this. I want to serve the Lord above all else, understanding that it may cost me. It may cost me my life. My life is his. And I give it to him so that he can use me however he sees fit. Look at verse number uh, 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Look at verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Friend, I want to tell you this in as loving a way as possible. Jesus did not say, he did not say, if you are not willing to bear your cross, you will not be a very successful disciple. He said, if you won't bear your cross, you cannot be his disciple. In other words, I, I believe 
that there are many of us who sit in, in a church like this and sit under the preaching of the word of God and praise the Lord for salvation. I'm thankful for that. But many, many of people who know the Lord and are saved are not truly his disciple in the sense that they're willing to say, Lord, wherever, whenever, however you want to use me, I'm yours. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. Now to us, the cross is like this symbol of, of religion or this symbol of, of Jesus and what he did. Understand that in Jesus' day, that was not what the cross was about at all. The cross was a symbol of torture. It, it, was, a, it was a gruesome death that was, that was paid by criminals. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to take up your cross. You've got to be willing to follow in my footsteps and sacrifice as I have sacrificed. Why would anyone do that? Friend, can I tell you, first and foremost, we ought to be willing to do that because he's worthy. He's worthy. Christ died for you and he died for me so that we could be saved, so that we could be his children, so that we could enter into his kingdom. I'm a child of God because of the sacrifice he made for me. And friend, there is no price too high to pay for him. There's no price too high. Paul identified with Christ in his death, but also I want you to notice that there was a purpose behind this. He, he specifically said, as we go back to Colossians 1, he said, I, I'm, I'm paying this price, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings, for you, verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's what Paul is saying. The reason that I am willing to pay so high a price is, first of all, because Christ is worthy. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy of my sacrifice. But also because I care about you. Because God has a message that everyone must hear. He speaks of the mystery. He says, I, I, I am, I am uh, doing this to proclaim the mystery, to fulfill the word of God. A mystery in the Bible, it's not the concept like we think of a mystery, oh, this is an unsolved situation that we've got to figure out. Actually, a mystery in the Bible is something that previously was not understood, but now has been revealed. Up to the New Testament times, God's primary work on earth had been among the people of Israel, the Jews. Those were his chosen people, those that he primarily was working with. But what we understand in, in the New Testament is that God is not only concerned about the Jewish people, he's concerned about everyone, Jew and Gentile, that Christ didn't die just for a few select people. He died for the whole world. He died for everyone. And this is a message that all people need to hear. And Paul's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice so that everyone can hear the gospel. I'm willing to pay the price so that souls could be saved. So think of it this way. Christ died to pay for your salvation. 
Paul says, I am willing to suffer so that you can hear and know the gospel so that you can be saved. I'm willing to pay the price as he did so that others can come to know Christ. And he says that this hope, this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Did you know that when a person receives Christ as Savior, they, the, the Holy Spirit of God comes and takes up residence within them? He actually dwells in us. Uh, we're told that uh, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in us. And in John chapter 14, just as Jesus was about to leave the earth, he was giving his disciples some final instructions. And he says to them in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now listen, the very next verse, he says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am leaving, bodily I'm leaving this earth, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending another comforter, the Holy Spirit, who's going to come and dwell not just with you, but in you. This is a, a mystery. This is something that the Old Testament saints didn't have and they weren't aware of. They didn't understand that we would have the abiding presence of God with us and even in us. Jesus says, listen, I'm not really leaving you alone. What's his promise? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't it wonderful, children of God, saints, those who know the Lord, isn't it wonderful to know that your sins are forgiven, you've been reconciled to God, restored to fellowship with Him, but you also have the Holy Spirit living within you, comforting, guiding, giving peace, instructing in truth, helping us. And Paul says, listen, this is the message that I live for. I have been called to proclaim the glorious gospel to the world, and I'm willing to pay the price so that others can hear. And then he says in verse 28 of Colossians 1, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Here's what he says. We want to present every man, every person, perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, if you've heard any of the previous messages from here, you understand that to be perfect doesn't mean that you've never sinned. Because there's not one of us who could ever say that we haven't sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it doesn't even mean that after you're saved that you quit sinning. Because, folks, we live in this flesh and we struggle with sin. But if you have been saved, here's why you can be presented perfect before the Lord. Because it's not your righteousness by which you are judged. It is Christ's righteousness. That he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Friend, when, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me for my failures. 
He doesn't see me for my sin. He doesn't see me for... Listen, I, I'll, let me tell you something. I, I try to be a good person. I try to be a moral person. But none of those things can make me right with God. Because in God's eyes, even my righteousnesses, the very best I can do, are filthy rags. So God doesn't look at me and see that. I've received the blood of His perfect Son. His sacrifice for me has washed away my sin. And when God looks at me, he sees his righteous son who stood in my place. And when I stand before God, I will be presented perfect. Not because I'm perfect, but because he is perfect. Because he died for me. And friend, he died for you. You can receive him. You can receive that gift of eternal life as well. And Paul says, I want everyone to know this. This isn't a message for just certain individuals, for a select few. This is for the world to know. And because of that, he says, I labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He says, it's the Holy Spirit working in me to proclaim the gospel. But I am committed to striving and laboring that others may hear it. Christian friend, can I present you with a very convicting and challenging thought? Could it be that one of the reasons that many people will never hear the gospel, and sadly few people are coming to Christ and salvation, could it be because so many of us are satisfied to be saved, but we're not really excited about embracing the cross. We're not really excited about saying, Lord, whatever the price that is necessary, I'm willing to pay that so that others can hear. In other words, in order for someone to hear, you may have to get out of your comfort zone and be willing to walk across the street to your neighbor and to sit down with them and say, have I, can I tell you about what Jesus did for you? You might have to be willing to sit in the break room with a coworker on a lunch break and say, can I tell you what Christ did in my life? Well, what are they going to think of me? Or how's that going to affect our relationship? Friend, there's a cost. It might mean that for someone to hear you are going to have to fly across the world and live in a different country and a different culture so that you can tell people of this glorious gospel that Christ came and died for them so that they can be brought back into fellowship with God. And you say, I just don't know if I can do that. I would have to give up so much. Friend, how, how, what is there that is greater than serving God? What is there in this world that is a that is more valuable than giving your life in the service of Christ. Listen, we might stand on this side of that and say the price is too high, but I have never heard someone on the other side who's given their all for Christ look back with regret. I never. I've never I've I've never heard someone who's been persecuted for the faith who who has put their life on the line who said, "You know what? The price was too high. I should have never done it." I've never heard someone, and I've talked to so many people that have sacrificed much so that others can hear. Friend, would we be willing 
like Paul, to say, Christ suffered so that we could be free, so that we could be delivered, so that we could be saved, and I am willing to follow in his footsteps. And if that means that I need to lay down my life so that others can hear, I'm willing. Whatever the cost, it's not too high so that others can come to know Christ. Are we willing? Are we willing to pay that price? And friend, if, if, if you're here today and you've never been saved, can, can I just simply take a moment and say to you, God loves you. God loves you. But there is something between you and God. Just like there was for me and everyone else in this room. We're sinners. We've disobeyed God. We've disregarded His law. We're separated from Him. The Bible says that man comes from the womb speaking lies. We, we've we've dis, disobeyed and disregarded Him. And even though God loves us, we're separated from Him because of our sin. And God is loving and God is merciful, but you need to understand that God is also just. And God does not overlook sin. The Bible says He will by no means pardon the guilty. In other words, He, does, he doesn't just say, you know, it's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal. God is just, and there is a day coming. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, there is a day coming. You'll stand before God, just like I will. You'll stand before God and give account for your life. And friend, as, as good of a person as you might be and as kind of a person as you might be, your goodness can never achieve God's goodness. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no hope for your soul based on your own merits, your own religion, the good things you do. You cannot save yourself. But friend, Jesus came to this earth, the Son of God, lived a perfectly sinless life. And He went to the cross. And in that place, He hung on the cross, shed His blood, and paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin. So that we could be saved. So that we could be made right with God. Three days later he rose again from the dead. And he promises eternal life. To all who will come to God the Father by him. If you'll turn from your sin and from yourself. The Bible calls it repentance. It's a change of mind where you say you know what. My way is not working. My only hope is Jesus. If you'll turn to him. And call upon Him, you can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, the Bible says. And you today can be made right with God because of what Jesus did. This is the message that God wants you to know. He wants you to know that Christ died so you could be restored to fellowship with God. Your sins can be forgiven today. You can have eternal life today and know that when this life is over, you're going to heaven to be with the Lord. And you'll stand before Him perfectly righteous. Not because of your righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness applied to your account. Friend, if you've never received that today, if you've never been saved, can I just encourage you today, turn to Jesus. Call upon Him, receive His gift of eternal life, and be saved.